All right. How's it going? Sweet. Well, I'm Jeremy Sides. I am the freshly appointed worship director here at Carolina Family Church. Uh, I'm part-time, which means that I'm only partially responsible for anything that I say up here. So if you have a problem with anything, John at carolinafamily.church, or he'll be around, go find him. Hey, I get the privilege to close out this series uh, about hearing from God, called Antenna. The first one was about how if you want to know anything, the first thing you need to do is go to hear. Listen to God's word. If you ask us any question, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, look at that. Newbie wearing a countryman. Is that, is that better? Can you tell a difference? Well, that's what John's for. Look at that. I'm part-time, remember. All right. Uh, the first one is about hearing God's word. If you ask us a question, we're going to go right there. All right? That's something you can do every day. Get into God's word. Uh, the second one was hearing his voice, and then when he speaks to you, learning to move to whatever he told you to do. And last week, we learned about hearing from God's leaders, asking for their, uh, for their unfiltered advice. And then if you don't understand it, follow it, because they are God's leaders. They're trying to lead you, and they do all those things. Go to his word, listen to his voice. And today, I get to finish it out with uh, listening to God's people to hear him. Now, I know some of you, uh, sometimes the end of a series can be kind of a bummer, and I... I have to tell you in context, I relate everything to movies and film because that's where I work. So when I tell a story like I'm going to today, I tend to put it in terms of a movie. Uh, so a lot of the series that you watch can kind of end really badly if you put your entire uh, five years of effort into watching them. For instance, I didn't watch a single episode, but I saw people throw themselves out of windows when the Game of Thrones ending happened. Okay. <laughs> That was, there was viral videos everywhere for that. For me, it was lost. I don't know if any of you guys remember that. I didn't have DVR back then, okay? I had to be home to watch it. And then after about five years, I still can't tell you what happened at the end. We get invested in things and then can get disappointed. Well, I promise you, this is not going to be one of those days. Because this is a fantastic story. It has everything it needs to be a blockbuster movie. It has a hero a king and queen. It has a good uncle, a supervillain. It's got drama, comedy. It even has a plan to wipe out an entire nation of people. It's basically the princess bride, okay? And I apologize for this. I have to do it. This is inconceivable. I had to do it. There's going to be a lot of pop culture references today because it's me, all right? So get used to it. Now, I'm going to set this story up a little bit. I'll tell you where we're at in history. Uh, last week, everything that John said leads us right into this, so I don't have to say any of it, okay? If you want to know what's going on, go to the website, go to the media, go to the video, and watch last week's. But basically what has happened is this is right when Babylon, Babylon Nebuchadnezzar, came in and wiped everybody out. And then another king came in and brought them all back and freed them. And some of the Jews stayed behind in the places that they were exiled to. And our story picks up in Persia, which is now Iran. And in that area, some of the remnants of Jews that did not go back, they choose to stay there. That's where the story picks up. And you have four main characters. That's all you need to know. There's a lot of supporting actors, but we're going to focus on four of them. The first one is King Russ. That is only because I cannot say his name. 
And I have to say his name a lot in this message. So we have abbreviated, abbreviated his name to Russ. All right. Second, you have Uncle Mordecai. He's a good uncle. He's a devout Jew. In fact, in the Bible, he is the first person to ever singularly, sing, I can't even say that. He's called a Jew. He's the first person to ever be called a Jew by himself. Every other reference has been in groups, okay? He is the first Jew. He's the OJ, the original Jew. Another pop culture reference for you. All right? Third one, Haman. He's the villain, the supervillain. And then lastly, we have Esther, which if you didn't know by now, that is what we're talking about today. So let's get right into it. Act one, scene one. If you have your Bibles, you're going to just open up to Esther. It's in there somewhere. And uh, if you have the notes, or if you have the app, you can just look right on there. It's an easy way to do it. Uh, we're starting right in chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. That in the third year of his reign, that's King Rus, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles, and the princes of the provinces uh, being before him. When he showered the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. Let me tell you what's going on here. Persia is wealthy. They've got a lot of stuff. They conquered pretty much everything. They even have gold couches, which does not seem like a good idea to me, but it was to them. That's like that second living room with the plastic on the couches you never could go into. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, but people my age do because my grandmother had it. That's where the gold couch is that you're not supposed to sit on, right? But even their couches were gold. And then he decided to have a six-month rager. These guys party. Six months, a six-month party. Everything was gold. Gold and silver, uh, jewels everywhere. It's basically Christmas of the Kardashians for six months. That's what it looked like. And then he decided to have a seven-day party after that for all the people who couldn't come to the 180-day party. And he had this bright idea at the end of that party. The Bible says he had had too much to drink because every good idea comes after you've had too much to drink. Usually it starts with something like, hey, watch this. He called for his wife to come in wearing her crown and be paraded around all the people. Show her off. And she said, oh, heck no. That ain't gonna happen. And I don't know if you know this, but back in that day, that, that didn't happen. King Russ went to his entourage and said, hey, wait a minute, she can't do that, right? What do the rules say? And the entourage said, well, I don't know, but we can't let her do that because it says if she does that, all the other women will think they can do it too. And we'll have, it said, we'll have a massive contempt and wrath. You think? I don't know what was happening back then, but I tried to do that. My wife, she slapped me upside the head in a second. So they had to do something fast. So he said, you're no longer queen. We're going to find another one. And they have another brilliant idea. They were probably all still drinking. They decided to have a beauty pageant. You can see where they're, you know, what they were looking for in a queen. And we'll find a queen that's way better than that queen. Basically, they had the bachelor. Don't raise your hand if you watch that. I'm not going to ask you. It's a ridiculous show. There's no way. It's just not going to happen. But this, unlike The Bachelor, these ladies didn't have a choice. They had to come. 
So they said, we're going to have a beauty pageant to find the next queen, the next bachelorette. And that's where he pick up Esther and Mordecai in chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 2, verse 5 through 7. In Shusan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, and a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Josaniah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. So Mordecai was of the original Jews, right? He came over when they got wiped out. He'd been there the entire time. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, which is actually Esther, that's her Jewish name. Her Persian name was Esther. His uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So right there, you see, we got Uncle Mordecai. We have the orphan Jew, daughter of Mordecai, adopted. And she's really pretty. And people knew it. Said she was good to look at. So when they came looking for women to be in the bachelor contest, in the beauty pageant, guess who they picked? They picked Esther. And she didn't have a choice. She had to go. And the only thing Mordecai told her was, do not tell them you're a Jew. That's the only advice he gave her that we read in the Bible. And we don't know exactly why he said that. It doesn't say. Could have been because he thought she would get treated badly. Because in that time, they, they weren't necessarily the least of these, but they had just been freed. So we're not real sure. But anyway, he told her, don't tell them you're a Jew. And she trusted him. That was her uncle. That was the OJ. She trusted what he said. So she didn't tell him. And she went to the bachelor contest. The producers liked her. They liked her so much, they took her to the princess house or whatever it is, the house full of all his wives, gave her seven servants and put her at the top, top of the list. And then they had a 12-year beautification treatment. She had manis and patties for 12 years. One year, 12 months, sorry. That'd be a really long time. A year is ridiculous. 12 years is way out of control, okay? For a year, she had all you can, manis and patties, all you can do. Hair treatments, I don't, look, I'm sorry. I, don't, I can't talk about the way, I don't know anything about it. I get my hair cut once every six months. And yesterday, I had a mustache, all right? So <laughs> I can't say anything about it. At the end of that year, they took her before the king, and the king said it, he liked her a lot. So he made her queen. Here Esther had gone from the least of these, an orphan Jew, to the queen of Persia. She had everything she wanted, except she was kind of still had a captive. She couldn't leave. She couldn't just do whatever she wanted to, but she had whatever she wanted. And behind the scenes, in that time, Mordecai had taken a job in the council of the king in his inner court. He had been raised up to that level. And he had heard a plot by two guys that were king's servants who didn't like him and were going to kill him. Mordecai told Esther, 
Esther told the king on Mordecai's behalf and they killed those two guys. So Mordecai in that time saves the king. That's important. We're going to come back to it. Next in act three, we see Haman, the supervillain. This guy's nasty, y'all. Esther 3, 1 to 2. After these things, King Russ promoted Haman. That's the word I can't say, by the way. King Russ promoted Haman, the son of, then I can't say the rest of these either, obviously, Hamadetha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. So Haman is basically the prime minister. He is right under the king. And the king told all of them, look, when Haman walks out, you bow down. That's the way it is. That's the rule. Haman walks out. Mordecai doesn't bow down. Again, another hole in the story. I don't know why. He is a devout Jew. And we all know, not supposed to bow down by anybody but God. So maybe that was the rule. Maybe he had gotten this job, was around Haman. Maybe he just didn't like him because the guy's a jerk. So he just wasn't going to bow down to him, standing with his arms crossed. And Haman doesn't seem, but his servants do. So they come to him and say, hey, dude, you might want to bow down. Mordecai says, nah, no way. So they go tell Haman. Haman comes out and sees it for himself, stands right in front of him. Mordecai does this. And Haman gets ticked off because he's a prideful, non-humble jerk. And he says, everybody's going to bow down to me. There's no way you're going to stand up to me. And the only thing you know about Mordecai, about his personality, about who he is, is that he is a Jew because he's proud of it. That's all you know about him. So Haman says, that's the one way I can get you. So he goes to the king, goes to King Russ and says, look, there's a group of people that don't obey our laws. They're not doing what all of us are doing. They're not doing what you set, the laws that you put down. Didn't really give him any, anything else to go on besides that. He says, well, I think we need to get him out of here. And the king says, all right, do whatever you want. And he throws him his ring. Now the ring in that time was his signet. That was his signature. We've seen those movies where they put their ring in the wax and, you know, put it on the letter. That's the thing you used to write on for you kids. <laughs> he gave him his ring, which meant he could do whatever he wanted to. So he draws up these letters, puts a signature on it, sends it out to all the provinces, to all the leaders. And this is what the letter said. On March 7th, you can command everyone to kill every Jew that's there. And for every Jew that you kill, I'll give you a certain amount of money and you can take all their stuff. So the way is he is getting back at Mordecai for not standing in front of him is by wiping out all of the Jews. How would it feel if you were Mordecai and you heard that? You didn't bow down. So now your entire race is going to be wiped out. I mean, it's hard enough when you do something to somebody that you love inadvertently. If I hurt my wife by accident or on purpose, I feel really bad about it. Should, right? I threw in the impurpose on there because I wouldn't do that. But sometimes inadvertently I hurt her feelings because I'm an idiot. 
Most of us guys are. We make decisions like having beauty pageants to find one, right? Okay, just setting that up. My wife's actually in the audience today instead of in the kids, so there she is. Hey. But back to Mordecai, how would you feel? So he does what any other Jew would do. He goes into mourning, takes his clothes off, puts a sackcloth on, uh, puts ashes on his head, and starts crying out for somebody to hear him. There's got to be somebody that can help me. And he goes all the way up to the king's court because he can't go in with a sackcloth on. It's against the rules. And Esther hears about it. See, Esther has no idea what's going on. Esther's locked up in the palace. She's only allowed to go to the king when he summons her. Still the queen, but that's how that works. She gets anything she could want, but she's stuck there. So she doesn't know what's going on. But one of her servants comes and said, look, Mordecai's out there screaming. He's got a sackcloth on. We might want to see what's, what's up. So she sends somebody out there to him. Mordecai tells him the entire story. Everything that's going on even gives him a letter that he got from Haman saying all the stuff and took it to her. And at the end, he said, oh, yeah. Could you tell Esther to please go to the king to say something about it? And Esther comes back and says, whoa, 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 whoa. If I go to the king, I could be killed because she wasn't allowed to go without permission. She had to be summoned. She said, there's got, well, there's got to be some other way we can do this, right? I don't need to be the one. What else can we do? And look what Mordecai says next. In Esther 4, 13 to 14, this is probably one of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that, this, that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom, hashtag, for such a time as this. Another pop culture reference, sorry. You've seen that before, right? It's written all over the place. For such a time as this. That is where it comes from. Mordecai is saying, look, you're a Jew. When they find out you're a Jew, if they do, you'll be killed too with the rest of us. Your entire family will be gone. You'll never have any family. Your entire lineage will be gone just like us. But God's already promised that uh, he will take care of the Jews. So deliverance is going to come one way or another at another time from somewhere else. Why not let that be you? And he says, maybe you are there just for this moment right now. Maybe you went through all that stuff for right now, for such a time as this. Nasser has a choice to make. And she's got to risk her life to do it. Put yourself in her shoes. She was an orphan, an orphan Jew. Probably at that time, the lowest. Uncle Mordecai came, rescued her, adopted her. And then all of a sudden, she's thrown into this beauty pageant she didn't ask for. 
She's paraded around in front of the king. She gets chosen. Now she goes from the least of these to the queen. She's in the palace, living it up, except she's kind of trapped. But she still has anything she could want. And here comes the same guy who told her to hide her Jewish nationality is now telling her to risk her life to save it. And here's where you really start to see Esther's character. Because she has a choice to make. And here she knows Mordecai as someone she can trust. She trusted him when she told her when he told her to keep her nationality a secret. She thinks, why wouldn't I trust him now? So she says, all right, look, this is what's going to happen. I trust you. I hear what you're saying, but I'm not just going to take your word for it. I'm going to go to God about it. She knew what she needed to do. She said, you're going to fast for three days. I'm going to fast for three days. Everybody's going to fast for three days. You tell them all to do it. And at the end of that three days of prayer and fasting, if I don't have another answer, I'll do it. And if I die, I die. She's saying, I trust you. You're a person I can trust. God put you in my life. I believe in you. I'm going to take your word. I'm going to filter it through God. And if I don't get another answer, then I'll go before the king and I'll die and I'll risk my life. And that brings us to the final act. You can really see God start to move through the story. Esther concocts a plan. She goes to the king and says, hey, I want to have a banquet for you and Haman. In order to do that, she has to go stand in the circle, in the king's circle, and wait for him to see her. And two things could happen. Either he raises his scepter, which means you can come, or she's dead. Because she went in without permission. And the only way she can be saved is by that scepter coming up. So she's standing there, King Caesar, and what do you think happens? It wouldn't be much of a story if she died, right? He, he thinks she's beautiful. He likes her a lot. Raises a scepter. Come on over. So he says, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. Half of the kingdom. She says, I want to have a banquet. Another party. She knows he likes parties. I'm going to have another party for you and Haman. And then I'll tell you what I want. King says, all right, gets Haman. They come to a party. They're having the party. King says, all right, what do you want? Tell me what you want. You can have anything you want. She says, I'm going to throw you another party. Tomorrow, there'll be another party. Come back, you and Haman. And then I'll tell you. He's like, all right, we'll have another party. So Haman goes to go home to tell his family how awesome he is that they're throwing a banquet just for him and the king, the queen is. And on the way out, who does he see? Come on. Mordecai. Everybody's bowed down to him except him. I'm still standing. Sorry. 
John did it last week. I thought I'd throw it in this week. So he's ticked off on the way home. He gets home and tells his family, that Mordecai is still standing there. And his family says, well, you got to do something about it. You're going to hang him. You're going to go to the king in the morning before the banquet, and you're going to hang him. So he built a 75-foot gallow. I don't know why it was 75 foot tall. It seems kind of ridiculous, but everything in this kingdom in Persia is overamped. So 75 foot gallow. Well, that night, King Russ can't sleep. Tossing and turning. God's moving. Tossing and turning. So what does anybody do when they can't have a TV? He goes to the library, he starts reading. Says he was reading chronicles, books, letters. And he came across this story of a guy who heard a plot of two people threatening to kill him, told him, saved his life. And he comes out and he says, hey, who is this, who is this guy? One of his servants said, that's Mordecai. He said, did he get anything for that? Did we honor him at all? And the servant said, no. So the king says, we got to do something about this. So next morning, here comes Haman. This is awesome. Here comes Haman, getting ready to say, hey, I'm going to hang this guy, Mordecai. And the king says, Haman, if I had somebody I really wanted to honor, what would you do? And Haman automatically thinks he's talking about him because he's that kind of guy. He says, well, I give him finest robes, give him a crown, put him on a horse, throw him a parade, a party, have everybody honor him. King says, all right, go get Mordecai and do that for him. <laughs> I'm telling you, this story is awesome. So he has to go do that for Mordecai. And then some servants come and say, hey, you've got a party you've got to go to. The queen's throwing you. You're late. So he comes in dejected already because he's had to honor Mordecai when he's trying to kill him. They're at the party, and the king says, all right, look, Esther, look, you got to tell me what's going on, man. You got to tell me. I know something's up. You got to tell me. She says, okay. There's somebody who's threatening to kill my entire nationality. He says, if, she, if he was threatening to throw us out, if he was threatening to enslave us, I might not would say anything, but he's threatening to wipe us out. And Haman's sitting right beside him. You got to think what he's doing. You need to start to shake. It's like, oh no, oh no. And the king says, who would do such a thing? And she says, whoop. Right there, that guy, that guy. King gets up, storms out. Haman starts pleading for his life. It says he got so tired of pleading that he laid down on the couch beside Esther. And then the king comes back in with him on the couch with his queen, which had to be against the rules. And he says, oh, not only you're persecuting all the Jews, now you're going to hurt her right in front of me in my house. And the servants come over and lay something over his head, which means you're dead. So they hang him on the gallows that he built to hang Mordecai. 
And Esther saves everybody. Saves a day. Yay! Great. All right. So what can we learn from the story about Esther? What can we learn about her, about how to hear God's voice? About how to listen to people? Number one, you have to put people in your life you can trust. You have to have people in your life you can trust. Look at 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 15, 33 to 34. Do not be deceived. You've probably heard this one before. Evil company corrupts good habits. Away to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You've got to have people in your life you can trust. A long, long time ago when I was in high school, I grew up in a really strict family. Uh, sent me to a Christian school. And there was a guy there who was not a person that they would have liked. And he became my friend. And he wrote me a letter back when you did that. And it had some not-so-choice words in it. And I don't know why, but for the first time in my life, my family went through my book bag and found that letter. That has had to be a God thing because they never would have gone to the bag otherwise. But I was hanging around with a dude I shouldn't have been hanging around with. And I got worn out for that. And I went to school and they told all the teachers, all the teachers knew about it. I had to be separated. It was a whole deal. But my dad knew that bad influences would corrupt me. Here's the deal. If you're here, or you want to be here, let's say, let's say you're here, or here, or here, but you want to be over here. And everybody that you talk to, all of your friends are here. You will never come over here. Okay? Does that make sense? Because everybody that's influencing you is here. You need somebody that will influence you here. People you can trust. People that love God, that know Him, that have found hope, who live free and are doing good. All that stuff right here. If you want to do all that and all your friends do this, you will never come over here. There's nothing wrong with influencing those people, this group, because we need that. We need to influence them. But if that's all you are ever around... You will never come over here. It's corrupting. I needed new friends. And I definitely wasn't allowed to hang out with that one anymore. So you need people you can trust in your life. All right? And once you get those people, and they start giving you opinions, start commenting on your Facebook page of how good your mustache looks, when you know they're all just making fun of you because they're not going to grow one and they want you to be made fun of, which is great. Although luckily I have someone in my life I can trust named Monica. And she said, you're not keeping that mustache. And I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so once you have people that you can trust in your life, 
you have to filter those opinions. You have to put them through a God filter. Esther knew that. Esther had that person in her life she could trust. But she knew that she needed to filter that opinion by fasting and praying. One of the other ways you can filter that opinion is this right here. Go to this. Look, I, I say this, and I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes during the week, our only alone time with God is watching TV. That's where we took our alone time. We're busy. I get it. But coming to church on Sunday cannot be the only time you spend with God. It can't. You have to have time to study this. To listen to his voice. You have to take the time to do that. To listen to the Holy Spirit guide you. The only way you can filter the opinion of the people you trust is to actually go to something that filters it, which is this. It's your leaders. But you have to filter them too. Anything that John says up here, or me, but I'm only part-time responsible, okay? So go back to John. Anything that John says, you still have to filter. However, I will tell you, if he said it, it's in the Bible. It's true. Some people make stuff up. He speaks the truth. But you still have to filter it. When you come in here on Sunday mornings and you listen to the message, go home and read about it. I was uh, helping at a church back in the, a long time ago, again, late 90s, early 2000s. And I had just lost my dad. Tough time in my life, to say the least. And I had a friend who was a pastor. And I went to him a lot for counseling, for help. And one day he told me point blank to my face, my dad died because of me. And I said, whoa, whoa, what? Wait, what? He had thought this, he had this belief that if you had 100% faith, you could do anything. He said, because I didn't have 100% faith, my dad died. Devastated me. Because how would you be able to live with the fact that you could have saved your dad? And I carried that. I carried that for a while. Until I was talking with a, my mentor, the guy who sent me to seminary. And I told him, and he said, dude, you're an idiot. Like, that's how he talks to me, point blank. Like, what? What is that? How did, why did you believe that? I was like, well, he's a pastor. He said, so? Did you go to the Bible? Did you talk to God about it? I was like, no. So you've been carrying around that this whole time, something that wasn't true because you didn't filter it? Yeah. Well, you're an idiot. Congratulations. <laughs> but that's, that's how we talk to each other, right? It's how guys talk to each other. Slap you on the, get out of here, you're good. High five. All right, cool. It doesn't matter who says it, you still have to filter it. And if you're not spending time in this, which is number one, if you're not spending time in this and then talking to God, your filter is broken. And then after you filter those opinions, you have to take a step. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do is to take a step. I missed a verse in step two. I'm just going to tell you what it is because I love the verse. 
And I piggybacked on the verse John used last week. Psalm 198, is it 105? The word is a lamp unto my feet and light to my path. The Bible. And then take a step. Let's look at James. James 1, 23 to 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, it's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. I love that verse. It's like if you look in a mirror, see what's really there, and then walk away and forget what you saw. When you know you're supposed to do something, you see it, you hear about it, people speak it into your life, you filter it, and then you know it, and then you still don't do it. Basically, James is calling you an idiot. Sometimes the taking a step part is the hardest part. I don't know what you guys got going on, but I hear a lot of stories about people just not liking what they do. I don't know if any of you experienced that, being in a job that you're stuck in, going to a school you didn't want to go to, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to do it. I was just like that. I went to school for engineering because I thought it could make me some money. And then I got out of school and had a great job, a job that anybody to tell you that you're crazy to leave right out of school. I got it. Seemed like it was a God thing. Well, if it was a God thing, he would be sending me somewhere that I would hate to show me something because I hated it. I hated every second of it. I was working 70 hours a week doing something I could not stand. I know some of you guys are in that same boat today. I've talked to you. You don't know what to do. You're waiting for another door to open. And I kept staying there because everybody said it was an awesome job. It's not, you don't work there. You don't know. But I was an engineer, and I had an engineering job, and I made good money, and I just got out of college, so it must be doing something right. Well, I got to the point where waking up was difficult. And once again, the person I could trust, the one who called me an idiot, who I talked to frequently, I said, man, I can't stand this. I don't know what to do. He said, I can tell you what to do. I told you when you were 15, what you did. You're not supposed to be in this job. I've seen it. God's told me you were supposed to go to school for seminary to be a pastor. And I told you, but you didn't want to do it. I even had the papers. He did. He had the papers for me to go to that college out laying on my desk when I was in high school. And he was my youth pastor. And I said, I don't want to do that. The youth pastor I ever met, poor and... Goofy, you know. But I grew up at a Baptist church with the, you know, like nine people in my youth group, and the youth pastor is always just this goofy guy. That was my youth pastor. I don't want to be him. He said, "Look, man, you need to pray about this. I'm telling you. I've seen it. God spoke to me about it. You need to pray about it and then make a decision because you're never going to be happy if you don't do it." 
Well, I'm standing up here. I did it. And it was the best decision I ever made. And it was a long road, and I'm still just a part-time dude. But that's okay, because I'm doing it. The point is that I had somebody in my life I could trust. I knew that. He told me something. I filtered it. Took it to God. I read. I fasted, man. I fasted like you would not believe. I lost a lot of weight. I was already pretty skinny because I was miserable. And at the end of that time, God did not give me another answer. And I said, if this is what I'm supposed to do, then open the door. And he did. He opened all of them. It was like dominoes. I didn't have a choice. Some of you guys are in a job you can't stand. Or you're dating somebody or getting ready to marry somebody. You don't know what's going on. You're not getting any answers. You're not getting any help from God. You're frustrated. I get that. Take a look at your life. See if you have the people that you can trust around you. Take it to them. And then when they tell you their opinions and comment on your Facebook posts, take that to God. God probably would have told me not to wear the mustache too. Pretty sure. I should have had a picture of it up here, but it just happened last night, so a little late. And then once you do that, take a step. Don't be the guy who walks into the mirror, sees himself, and then goes away not knowing what he just saw, thinking it was something different. When you find out what you're supposed to do, take a step. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity. Stand on this stage, on your stage, in your presence, and deliver the message that you gave me for my people. I pray that you would allow them to see time that they can take, to set aside to talk to you, to read your word, to fast, to pray, to get answers for things they've been wanting to know. We know you'll answer them. We know if we ask you to put us in the right path, you will. We might not understand it, we might not think that's what's best for us, but we know that you know what is best for us. Thank you for everything you've done for us. We love you. Forgive us our sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, listen. In closing, again, second closing. If you guys don't have the people that you can trust around you, if you don't have the knowledge of how to get that filter, if you don't even know what taking a step starts like, where it starts, we have groups. That's what the groups are for, to give you people that you can trust, that are like-minded, that know God. So you can surround yourself with those people. And then when they give you all the opinions, you can start learning how to read the Word of God and listening to His voice. And then come in here listening to John or me part-time or Ben or whoever's up here. And then if you really want to take a step, sometimes the easiest thing is to do something. If you don't feel like you're doing anything for God. You're just sitting there waiting for him to show you the way. He may already be doing it. 
We have ways you can do that. John already talked about them in some of the host comments. We've got all kinds of stuff going on. You go to the website, check it out. It's out there in the, the table where the Bibles are, the uh, information table. I don't know what the fancy name for it is, but that's where it is, the information table. We also have growth track today. Let me tell you what growth track is going to do if you haven't gone through it. It's going to find out who you are in God, what your strengths are, what your gifts are. And then we can put you on a team that will help you find more people you can trust. If you don't have people in your life that influence you in the right way, we can help. Let us do it. Let us help you. Okay? Do something. Take a step. Don't just sit there and wait for God to open doors right in front of you. He will, and he can. But sometimes he's just saying, hey, I've already given you all this stuff. Just do something. So go do it. Take a step. Have a nice day. Stand up. Get out of here.